All right, folks, we're coming down the home stretch. The NBA's deadline for in-season trades is less than seven days away. Next Thursday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, all deals have to be in. Will the Jazz have one in? Meanwhile, the Utah Jazz still do not have an all-star. The New York Knicks no longer have a unicorn. We'll talk about that and much more on this edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Dan Clayton, managing editor of Salt City Hoops and one of our great writers and a guy who has been talking about the jazz with me since, you know, about as long as I can remember is my brother, Ken. Ken Clayton. How's it going, Ken? Doing well. Doing well here in Phoenix. How's New York? I assume we're a little warmer than you have uh, going on there. A little bit. I woke up this morning and saw that it was that the feels like temperature was negative 15. So I stayed home. <laughs> All right. Our feels like temperature was, I don't know, we probably got over 70 today, but I'm not certain. Oh, that sounds that sounds rough. Yeah, I at one point I did make it down the block for a slice of pizza at, at your favorite place, Donana Rosa. Donana Rosa. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I did make it to basketball, which is literally two doors down from my house. And those are the only two times I bothered to leave my abode because of the the cold. As as they say, it was not fit for man nor beast out there. Uh, speaking of men and beasts, um, the, the trade deadline is coming up. So let's talk about the jazz. Um, one beast, by the way, who got some bad news today, Rudy Gobert, not going to the all-star game. Did that, did that surprise you? Like it surprised me? Uh, surprised, not shocked is probably the best way I can put it. Um, I think he hundred percent deserves it. There's always some drama there when you get to the, whatever, eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th man on a on an all-star squad well it's not a squad anymore because now they right. now they pick teams but uh there's always some drama and and you know there should be i just having really you know once the list was announced and having really looked at it i feel like he should have been on the other side of the line but um the one thing i i was preaching a little bit yesterday that i believe coaches or whoever fills out those forms um always seem to uh overvalue or or uh incentivize guys who have already been there yeah. it's almost like they can't make an original pick and really look at who's playing well on the impacts and, and i mean look let's get this straight none of these guys is playing poorly they're all potential all-stars but um it just feels like with the exception of Jokic, who is a first-time all-star every other guy has been there before and it just feels like the coaches look down the list and said oh towns he's been there and aldridge he's been there and you know maybe you get some franchises in the mix too you know the spurs have been good forever so you know we can't not have a spur right but that didn't seem to benefit the jazz the jazz obviously used to have quite an all-star history or consecutive years but uh, not so much anymore yeah yeah, I hear you. I do agree that coaches are big time legacy voters, and and uh, you know yeah. you just have to look at how long it took Dame Lillard to get in. I mean, Dame was a, a, a super duper star for a couple of years before he finally got the nod. Um, one yeah. guy who's been before, and then we'll move on and we'll talk trade deadline. But uh, one all star who is going to be changing addresses is Kristaps Porzingis. Um, that's the other big NBA news of the day. Um, will impact a little bit the conversation we're about to have because um, his trade to Dallas along with Tim Hardaway Jr. and um, Courtney Lee in exchange for Dennis Smith Jr., um, Wesley Matthews, who it sounds like they're going to buy out, and um, and a couple of picks and some other stuff that I'm probably forgetting. You know, that's that's that could affect supply and demand as you think about the trade market, but... Uh, but wow, I mean, you know, the Knicks move on from Kristaps and they do so for, you know, a collection of, of goods that feels like 40, 50 cents on the dollar at best. I, I mean, like, look, conceptually, if you're getting ready to move on from from a young stud like Kristaps and everyone knows that you're moving on, everyone knows he wants out and you don't have leverage, you kind of, you hope to get back a package that includes a young guy still on a rookie contract, some draft stuff, um, and some salary 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 relief is how they say those words in mm -hmm. America. Um, you know, the Knicks nominally got all of those things. I just don't think Dennis Smith Jr. is the kind of guy that people thought was anywhere close to to Porzingis's tier. 
Um, so really, you you only do that deal for a couple of reasons. You're either just sick of Kristaps making noise and not being happy, or maybe you've heard from some guys who would like you to clear some max slots for this summer. Yeah, I believe you forgot to mention the headliner of the trade, Trey Burke, was also included oh, right. from New York to Dallas. In fact, strangely, in the article I just pulled up because I, I was making sure I had my facts straight, it, uh, it, it already talked about Porzingis being traded, and then it says... It starts the sentence with Trey Burke, who is averaging X points this season, is headed to the Mavericks along with Christoph Porzingis, <laughs> Courtney Lee, and Tim Hardaway Jr., as if he was the important piece of the trade. So Yeah, the headliner. Yeah. Well, go go do it up, Alfonso. Yeah. Um, vestiges of, of jazz trades of seasons past. Um Two two trades actually. They traded to get him, and they then they traded to move on from Trey Burke. Right. At any rate, um, so let's let's just get right to it. Our our plan is to go through a list of names that keep coming up in the conversation, uh, and and figure out if we think that the Jazz do or should have interest in these guys on this list, um, and it, and if they sh- if we feel like they should be, or if we feel like they are interested, what it's going to take from an asset perspective to get them. But let's just let's start thirty-five thousand foot level. Ken, I'll put you on the spot here. Do you think it happens? Do you think the Jazz have the same roster on the morning of February eighth? Uh, my tea leaves right now say uh, that they do make a deal. Okay, but um, you know, sometimes what we've kind been, of tea is it? Because that sometimes impacts well, the way that the leaves Actually, fall. you know, it's it's not regular tea. It's not herbal tea. I don't drink tea at all. So it's a, I it's actually Earl Grey. I actually just got these tea leaves out of the garbage can. I. Okay. They may not be very I, terribly I, predictive. I was going to say maybe just like some some stuff fell in your diet coke because yeah. that's that's more a Ken beverage. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm with you. I think um I think the Jazz have purposely put themselves in a situation. If you look at the way that all of their all of their assets have been structured, all of their contracts have been structured, the way that recent deals have been signed, um I think the Jazz have signaled pretty pretty obviously that they're planning to use this wind, this six to nine month window, you know, now and the summer to go and try to add another, another impact player to this roster, meaning not necessarily a star guy, but you know, a quasi star who becomes the third best player on the team, or maybe in, in best case, the, the second best player on the team, um, you know, along with Rudy and, and Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles is in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, and what, I, and what I think has changed, I mean, conventional wisdom has been up till probably the last week, I, I felt like, you know, it was going to be a, it was going to be a summer thing, whether it was a trade or free agency in the summer, that was when they were going to cash in the, the, the flexibility that they have. Um, but now just, just the level of activity we're seeing and we're, and we're seeing it actually, you know, in a few reports, um, it just feels like, Either they're just doing their due diligence, but but I think it's a little beyond that. And I and I mentioned this to you earlier, and I think you disagree just a little. It feels to me like maybe some of their top targets, they feel like there's a little bit less likelihood those guys are going to be either uh, available or on the move this summer. And so they're thinking just playing a numbers game, maybe we look at things a little harder and closer now because maybe the summer isn't quite what we thought it would be because maybe one or two of these guys stay with their team because their teams are better than, than maybe they were expected to be. And we, we thought there was a, there was an X percent chance they were going to be on the move. And now there's less an X minus something. If that all makes yeah, sense. If, right. you wanna, like, if you go back to algebra yeah. class, you, you're following me. I don't know if the listeners are, cause I might be uh, <laughs> belaboring this. No, I, I mean, like, let's put a name on it because that'll that'll make more sense um, for people who don't remember their algebra classes. Okay. You know, but going into the season, people thought that a guy like Tobias Harris, there was a chance that the Clippers were going to be bad. And if the Clippers were bad, then they might look to monetize Tobias Harris's expiring contract. And um, and so he was a guy that people had their eye on all season. And we'll talk about Tobias in a, in a few minutes here. But what's happened is that the Clippers are not bad. The Clippers are good. The Clippers are you know, by most projection models looking like they're going to finish in the playoffs or at least have a good chance to be in the top eight. And so now a guy like Tobias, there's, there's less chance you can go pluck him off the trade market. So you have to be really confident you can get him in the free agent market. 
And even if the Jazz are confident in their story, and I get the sense that they really are, and that they and that they think whether this is hubris or confidence or whether they've actually been given indications, they think they're going to have a chance with free agents. Yeah. Um, you know, if if they have the if they have the room to sign them, um, and but but here's the thing: you better be even if you're confident in your chances, you're still one of thirty teams. You you can't you know like Tobias might be willing to play in Utah. Guess what? He's also willing to play in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's going to probably throw a big offer at him. Or you know, Chris Middleton might like Utah and knows a couple of guys from Utah's front office from their Milwaukee days. But guess what? Chris Middleton's going to get a max offer from someone, including from his current team that's the second best team in the East. So, I, you know, I think it's one of those bird in hand situations, um, you know, for starters, why, why the Jazz are seeing. Can they just, can they get it done now and, and not wait and, and gamble on somebody um, being willing to take their money in right. July? The other thing I'll say um, is... Uh, you know, the the Jazz the Jazz could use their cap space in the summer, assuming that it goes that way and they wind up being a cap space team, which I'm not sure they will, especially if they make yeah. a deal now. But they could use cap space in a trade. The problem is some of their assets, some of their trade assets, their best trade assets, have more value today than they will have in July. You know, right now, Derek Favors is interesting to teams who want a virtual expiring contract because of that team option year or the non-guaranteed mm-hmm. year. But favors is also interesting to teams who want center help. Yeah. That's great. That's, you know, twice the audience, twice the market. In July, he's really only going to be interesting to teams that actually want a, a good center um, because the Jazz can't trade him as an expiring then because if they trade him without, um, you know, without opting into that, to that second year of the contract, then he, his contract doesn't have any value in the trade and you can't use him to, to get salary right. back. So, you know, Ricky Rubio has value today, some value um, as a trade piece. In July, you can't trade Ricky Rubio. You can sign and trade yeah. him, but that tool is not as powerful as it once was. So I think some of it is just, if it's going to be trade versus free agency, now is kind of the moment to strike because you just have more stuff to work yeah. with. And and really this stuff we're really primarily talking about and we'll get into more details is is probably the two guys you just said. Derek Favors, Ricky Rubio, contracts that are worth something now, worth worth absolutely nothing or or much less in in June and July. Agreed. Agreed. Do you think um we didn't plan to talk about this, so you know, again, sorry for putting you on the spot. Um for the for the right deal, let me let me rephrase that. What is the right deal that gets them to surrender? Let's just say Dante Axum, right? Like, like the best trade asset to ha- that you can have is a young guy, a, a young good player, starter caliber player, still on a rookie contract because it means he's not making a lot of money, and it means you control his destiny for you know this contract and beyond yeah. with matching rights. The Jazz really only have one of those in Donovan Mitchell, and he's not getting traded. The next closest thing they have is Exum, who's not on a rookie contract, but he is on a pretty affordable short-term contract. And you know, David Locke and some other people say that he does have some he does have some interest around the league. So, you know, is he a player you would put in a deal for, you know, Mike Conley? Is he a player you'd put in a deal for Drew? Is he a player you'd put in a deal for Chris Middleton? Is he a player you'd put in a deal for Tobias? I, I think, um, you know, that's the philosophical question. I don't know if you have a a gut reaction on how how much you think the Jazz are planning to treat him like an asset this this next week. I think they'll keep their ears open. Uh, me me personally, um, there are probably few people on the list we're planning to talk about that I would want to to get if it cost Dante Exum. Not because Dante Exum is is the be all end all, but because we'd be talking about something and Dante and maybe a pick. And I just think at some point it's getting the price is getting too high. Okay. Uh, so as we talk about the framework on, of some of these specific deals, uh, we'll we'll get more into that. But, right. but in just in general, um, I would want some things that I, I would if I'm giving up either favors or Rubio, say because those are the big salary guys that are going to help you get a, a good salary in return, and an Exum, and maybe a pick something something like that. I, I want a pretty 
sure thing. And as we've already talked a little, there are some red flags with a lot of these guys here. And so we'll, we'll get into more of the specifics on each guy probably. For the balance of this podcast, we're going to talk about eight names. These are the eight names that have come up the most in rumors or at least in kind of fan conjecture. And we'll talk, basically the idea here is should the jazz want each of these eight guys? Um, do they want each of these eight guys and what would it take to get them? So let's start with Otto Porter. Ken, sh- do you think the jazz should and do want Otto Porter? I think the jazz do want Otto Porter. I think the jazz should want Otto Porter. My only hang up with Otto Porter is I'm just a little bit reticent with thinking he's, he's kind of that third guy at the salary he's at. Um, I don't get to watch as much uh, non-jazz basketball as I would like, and, and so I'm not an expert on Otto Porter. Part of the season, those Washington's games start at 4 p.m. my time. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, now they're a little late. Now they're 5 p.m., 5.30. Um, but that's that's my only concern with him, uh, you know, and then, the, and then the factor that you're probably giving up a Derek Favors to get an Otto Porter, so you're you're giving up you're adding some great things that a stretch four can bring. You're giving up some things as far as what a backup five brings, uh, which is uh, more and more becoming what Derek Favors' role is with Jazz anyway. Yeah, for sure. I, I think um, looking at the stuff that has fallen into my Diet Coke, um, I, I think just there's enough reporting, new reporting today to tell us a couple of things. One, the Jazz are interested in Otto Porter. Um, yes. You know, Tony Jones has reported on, at the Athletic um, that that the Jazz have had talks with Otto Porter, and that they and that to your point, they have been told that any package for Otto Porter is going to have to include Fave. Um, which, by the way, I think is kind of fine. I think the Jazz sort of know that if they trade for a guy who mostly plays power forward, then that basically means you kind of moving on from Favors. Favors isn't just going to play twelve minutes a night behind Rudy. So you know. I think that's kind of the understanding anyway, which means that that's probably a workable framework for a deal. You know, favors and something, because the salaries don't quite match if it's just favors. Favors and something for auto seems like it would work for both teams. We know the Jazz are interested. We know that Washington is interested in favors. There's a workable framework there. You were about to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, you and I were talking the other night about... uh you know, one example, just there are several examples that would work, but we were talking about, I think you threw out favors plus Cephalosha plus Bradley, and they were actually short by $26,000, which is a lot of money to you and me, but in the NBA structure, it's not much, but it would, they, they that, that trio would not be quite enough to get Otto Porter back. So they'd have to swap uh, unless, out. Unless What's Otto that? Porter, I mean, Otto Porter could right. voluntarily give up $26,000 of his, of his trade, trade kicker. Um, and then, and then, you know, the deal's workable, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I hear you. Like, I, I think that that is probably, so the other thing I was going to say is we know that from Tony Jones's reporting. Then we know because Ted Leonsis, the majority owner of the wizards came out and publicly said today, we are not trading John Wall, Bradley Beal or Otto Porter. We're not trading any of the three, which by the way is total BS. I'm throwing the BS flag. We know he's negotiating about at least Otto. So for him to say that means um, not that he's telling the truth. What it means is that no offer that he has received up to the time when he said that was enough for him to, you know, that's positioning is what that is. So right. let's just, again, tea leaves, let's deduce here. If it's going to be favors and something, and both sides know that it's going to be favors and something, but Ted Leonsis isn't quite convinced that he's going to make the deal yet then I think what's happening here is the Jazz and the Wizards are quibbling over what that something is. Yeah. And that means that as of right now, there's there's not an agreement, but there's seven more days for someone to flinch and say, you know, either the Jazz could say, oh, okay, you want this guy instead of this guy? Well, let's make it happen. Or the Wizards could say, well, we really like favors, so, you know, let's just get it done. Um, that I don't think anything I said there is um, is a reach based on what's out there in the public domain today no no not at all i think and so what the jazz are looking for is basically give or take a few dollars seven million more dollars in salary to send with favors 
to make that deal happen. Um, you know, so there are guys who a single guy gets you there, but those are probably getting into guys they don't want to trade away, like a Kyle Korver who they just just got and team's been playing very well without him. I doubt they want to. I doubt they want to attach Jay Crowder, and so that's why you you know our minds flip, flipped over to what about two guys, uh, Cephalosha and a Bradley. Although unless the trade kicker is partly waived, that doesn't work. A, a Cephalosha and Grayson Allen, or a Cephalosha and Raul Meadow. Just you know, there are, there are many different ways you can go, but that's it's favors plus seven million in salary is what it's going to take. Yep, and and how they fill that 7 million in salary is is why there hasn't been a trade consummated yet and there may not be right like the jazz may just decide you know the, they may decide we're just not attaching jay dante or kyle to favors in a deal you can have um, you know you can have tabo and one of those smaller salary guys I, you know i i so go ahead I was just gonna say, yeah, or or you know, because we have no clue, um, we're not we're we're not plugged in. Maybe they've agreed on, or uh, you know, at least tentatively agreed on players, but but the other team, well, it could be either team wants uh, wants this pick and this pick, and the other and and who, whichever direction that's going, no, we'll only give you one pick. So whether that's whether that's a, a Washington or another team asking the Jazz for one or two picks and the jazz only want to give one or, 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 you know, are willing to give one in a second or something like that. But yeah, they're, they're, it's just all of that, the attached stuff, but you're right in general yeah. favors for Porter, but, but to make the salaries match, the jazz are going to have to give a little more to get, to get in there. Yeah. And, and because of all of that, and then we can wrap up and move on to the next, the next names because of all of that, I'm not ready to give up on this. I, I think that that's enough of a start that something could happen in the next seven days on that front. Um, it just, the teams have to get on the same page about what the stuff is in favors and stuff. Um, and then the other thing that the jazz have to decide is, you know, if you get a guy like Otto, who makes about 27 million right now, but because of that trade kicker, um, his, the trade kicker, by the way, gets paid by, gets paid by Washington, but winds up, being part of his cap number. So yeah. he would sit on the Jazz's cap for 29.9 million. He would sit on the Jazz's cap for about 31 million next year. So if they get a player like that, that basically means they're done. That basically means that's it. Which means even if you could get him for just favors and Tabo and a and a guy, um, and even if that still on paper leaves you, you know, Rubio, Exum, some other assets to go play with to make a second deal you kind of can't like you're, you're kind of, you're kind of tapped out. So I think in some cases the jazz might actually be in a situation where they have kind of a workable framework over here with this team. And then they have a workable framework over here with this other team. And they actually kind of have to choose which path they want to go down, which brings me to my next name, which is um, the always a bridesmaid, never an all-star Mike Conley. Um, Mike Conley is an elite point guard or or let's call him like the sub elite class like he's in that near elite he's like a top seven or eight point guard in the nba really good player he is 31 he has had some injury history and but again tony jones is reporting at the athletic.com that the jazz are having conversations with memphis about mike conley should the jazz be interested in mike conley Ken? um should be. I'm a little more lukewarm just because of the age. So you mentioned he's 31. He's 32 before next season starts, and he's 33 then, obviously, before the following season starts. And his salary for those years basically matches his age. Next year, he'd be at 32.5 million. The following year, it's a player option year, but as long as he you know, opts in, that's at a 34.5 million and he's playing basketball between short starting the season right after his 33rd birthday playing up till, you know, 33 and a half to, you know, getting closer to 34. That makes, that part of it makes me a little more nervous than the auto Porter. Auto Porter has a little bit less uh, in, in the actual salary. His cap hit is close, but he's also a whole lot younger than Mike Conley. Mike Conley on the court, you know, his, his history, um, certainly has has proven a lot more than Otto Porter, and from that perspective, I, I mean, you think he's dynamic. He's going to get you there. I was, you know, I was even though you just said that, I was about to say he's an all star. Technically, he's not. Um, he'd fit right in on the Jazz team, right? Um, guys who could be but aren't. Um, yeah. So, 
I mean, that's that's my biggest concern with Conley is a what are you going to have to give up to get him? And and again, if it's if it's a if it's favors Rubio, the, I mean, let's let's face it, the, there's a very good chance that those guys, whether they go at the trade deadline or in the summer, there's a very good chance they're not making it into next season anyway. Um, so you know, with, right, with the right. so so that's that's not. But what what are you going to have to attach? What are they are they going to want? Like you mentioned before, are they going to want an Exum? Are they going to want something that the Jazz do envision as a piece going forward? And and you know from their side, from from for example the the Memphis side, that might be their negotiating tactic is, hey, we're taking a Favors or a Rubio. They're probably not. That's that's really almost no cost to you. You're just giving these guys up for 25 games, um, but they probably won't be with although, you next season. I mean. Mem- Memphis may want that, right? Like Memphis may want just some expirings and yeah. and some picks and um but but the thing is with Memphis and and why a Conley deal gets complicated uh, at least relative to Otto who we were just talking about. Um like nobody's really 100%. Like we know Otto's on the table in terms of they're willing to answer the phone and talk about Otto. By contrast, Mike Conley is like they have publicly said come get Mike. Yeah. Like He's on, he's on the block, make an offer. And, and we know that, that there are other teams that are interested. Like he makes a lot of sense for Detroit next to Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. He makes some sense in Miami. Um, you know, he, he, he would have made some sense on new Orleans before the, um, before the AD trade demand. He, yeah. he honestly would have made some sense in New York. They just traded for Dennis Smith jr. Maybe Dennis isn't that good. And maybe he would still make it, but you know, like there are other teams that are going to get into the process for Mike. So you have to, you have to like him. You have to not be afraid of the age and the injury history. And by the way, you have to bid against other teams who know that it's open season on Mike Conley. Yeah. And just quickly quantify that. I'm hurrying and doing this calculation again. I had done it earlier and uh, don't have it anymore. Folks, this is folks. This is why you podcast with an, with an accountant. Well, it's not much of a calculation anyway, so let's not let's not go over our heads. The last three seasons, Mike Conley has averaged 46 games. This season, he has only missed one. So, are his injuries behind him? Was that just a, a fluke thing in his in his late 20s? Maybe, but in general, guys don't get you know more healthy as time goes by. Um, sure. You know, you and I know at a at a slightly more advanced age, well, at two different more advanced ages thank than Mike Conley. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Advanced um, is relative, man. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. We're you know you don't get more healthy. It doesn't get easier to play basketball. Um, and, well, it just you know, affects the way you age, right? Like, yeah. Like you might never get hurt again. I'm not, and and I, you know, I've spent the week arguing with people about injury prone. I don't necessarily believe in injury prone. I don't think that Mike Conley's made of glass or that he's compositionally flawed somehow. Most of his injuries have been kind of freak things, but when you've had serious injuries. Um, those things linger and, and in your thirties, it's harder to, you know, play basketball and then get up the next morning and get ready to play basketball again. So, you know, I think I'm with you. Like this one kind of worries me depending on what the jazz have to give up. I like it can only go one of two ways, right? Like either he goes to Utah, he's great. He elevates them. They become the second best team in the Western conference. They're like legitimate overnight as contenders or he goes there and basically it's like the George Hill trade again. Yeah. Right. Like the jazz picked up George Hill at roughly the same point in his career, you know, just into his thirties, had some injuries behind him. He was, he was good enough. George Hill was that people were excited because of his name recognition and hearing for years about how underrated he was. And then he went to Utah and basically Utah got him for, you know, the first phase of his rapid decline and now he's a bench player and for 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 speaking of 46 games for conley the last week we got him for 49 games and he didn't play much in the playoffs or in, at least in the second round he didn't yeah. so yeah how much value did he really add i mean i do think he added a i do think he added a locker room value and 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 a value as a veteran but you know he was he played in 50 percent of the games yeah and and there's a risk of that with conley which is why you know depending on depending on what it takes. Now, if you can get him without giving up favors and without giving up Exum and without giving up too much draft stuff, 
you you might you might need to do that. But again, we're talking about a guy in a salary range who who because of that, that's your deal. Like that's your team. That's what you are for the next two and a half seasons. Yeah. Um, if you decide later that you still need a big scorer, you know, a a, a big a, a stretch four or big wing type that you need a Chris Middleton or you need an Otto Porter or you need a Tobias Harris, you you kind of can't do anything about that at that point. So that's what worries me about the about the Conley deal. Um, the next guy on the list is is Drew. Um, I'll, I'll I'll start on this one. I you know. Yes, the Jazz should want Drew, which is precisely why I think this one is a non-starter. Um, the I, I don't I don't think he's as available as fans think. I think that New Orleans would move him for the right kind of rebuilding trade. And again, if you think about what a rebuilding trade usually includes for a guy who's at that near all-star level, like Drew is, um, Drew's actually been an all-star once, although that was you know Eastern Conference big numbers on a bad team kind of year. Um, you know, the, the deal would usually involve the type of assets that the jazz don't really have, unless you include Donovan Mitchell and the jazz aren't including Donovan Mitchell. So I I don't think the drew thing is, um, is remotely realistic. I I don't know if you think I'm wrong on that. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, this is, this is one of the trades where I probably would be feel more comfortable trotting out Exum and, and maybe a couple of picks, but even that I don't think gets you the value that new Orleans is going to want for drew holiday. So it's it's probably yeah, a moot point, agreed. Um, but it's nice to think about. So Drew makes uh, twenty five, almost twenty six million this year. He's under contract for two more years, guaranteed, um, at basically the same number, at almost exactly the same number. Then he has a player option in two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty two. So like, yeah, that is definitely a guy who um, no trade kicker, by the way, but he does have some bonuses in his contract for things like. Um, you know, minutes played for things like assists per game, rebounds per game, games played, and his team making the playoffs. So, you know, like Drew, because of that that contract, um, is a guy who I, I think you would acquire if you had a chance to acquire him. Um, I don't think that New Orleans is biting, especially for the package that the Jazz would be able to put together. Um, no. It would be an ex- it would be an expiring or two. Well, it would probably an expiring and either favors Rubio. Maybe, like I said, maybe you get an Exum and maybe you go deeper into into picks for a player like that. But I think they get better offers. While we're in the Big Easy, let's talk about Nikola Meritich. Fans love to talk about Nikola Meritich. We know that the Jazz were interested in him last year. We also know that that deal didn't go through, and the first chance that the Jazz had to face him after all those rumors. They basically set out as a team to embarrass him. They put him in a pick and roll as much as they could. Favors ate him alive. Gobert ate him alive. Um, which tells me that other Jazz players are not as impressed with Nikola Mirotic as the fans are. But let's put that aside for a second and just answer the same questions. Do we think that Nikola Mirotic is a player that does things for the Jazz, um, you know, that takes the Jazz to another level? I don't know about another level. I mean, I do think he does some things that would be good for the Jazz. I don't think he's quite as bad a defender as as he he gets blamed for. Although, notwithstanding the game you just gave him as as an example, um, but I also think, you know, I, I don't know that uh, again trading him for favors. Uh, I don't think it, it it changes your team. It doesn't necessarily improve your team for this stretch. I think in that case, I might just go with chemistry for the rest of this year. And then if the jazz really like him, they can look at him in the summer. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I mean, and, and then, and then we'll know because we won't be, you, you only have to get one guy to dance with you, not a guy and his team to, to work it out. Sure. I, I mean, he's, he, it's cheaper and therefore easier to get him now because he only makes 12, five this year. I think he'll probably make more than that in free agency. Maybe not. I mean, you know, he's kind of a role player plus type. So maybe depending on how the yeah, but if he takes, go ahead. Yeah. But if he, if he makes 12, five now, and then he becomes a free agent, whether he's with the jazz or not, presumably to keep him going forward, they'd be paying the same. I mean, the one advantage might be, you know, a, ca- a cap hold might be a better way to get him than have to pay him as a free agent. Yeah. Um, if he was their own free agent, but yeah, a cap hold. You know, if, I'll, I'll, yeah. If his cap hold were on their books at, you know, 19 million or so, then um then you know technically you could you could go out and 
you could do one of two things. You could go out and sign someone else with cap space and then take care of, of Nico, or you could, you know, hurry and sign Nico to less than 19 million, which right. I think, I think his, his market value is probably less than 19 million anyway. And then you still have some cap space. So, you know, like I, I hear you. I just, for me, Nico doesn't really move the needle much. Um, although I will say, um, Zach Lowe on his latest podcast seemed really intrigued by the idea of Miritich on the jazz or a player yeah. like Miritich on the jazz. I don't like disagreeing with Zach Lowe because Zach Lowe is a whole lot smarter than me, but I just, I, I don't know. I don't know how it would go as I watch Draymond Green and, uh, DeMarcus Cousins go after James Capers and then go after each <laughs> other. This is fun. This is good TV. This is must see TV on a Thursday night. Oh, Draymond I, and DeMarcus going at it. I should flip the channel. I got Lakers Clippers going on. Ah, uh, well, that's a more relevant game to the Jazz's world, but yeah. you know, who doesn't like watching Draymond and Demarcus meltdown? Anyway, um, so yeah, we're. It sounds like kind of the consensus on Nico is, yeah, he does some stuff. Yeah, it'd be fun to put another dead eye shooter next to Gobert, but he, but he doesn't necessarily transform Utah. What do you think a Nico deal looks like? Do you think it's favors? It's probably favors just positionally because, you know, they're going to, if they're going to send out a guy who can play, you know, minutes at a big position, even though they play very differently, um, you, you, that's probably what it's going to look like. It's, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, sending out a, a Rubio's expiring and getting a big back because then you end up with log jam on both teams. Um, I guess the exception would be as if they could get him for some of the other smaller expirings, uh, uh, Cephalosha, yeah. Udo, actually that probably gets you there because that plus 5 million gets you there, doesn't it? So, you know, it's, yeah, those two could, but I, but the, the cleanest deal would probably be the other, but then I, if, if I were trading favors for, for heritage, I would be wanting another asset back in some form, at least, you know, a, a, a player or a pick back because I think the jazz would be giving more value. Unlike some of these other trades we talked about. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think favors would be the best player in that trade. Right. Um, you know, heritage fits, for some different reasons, um, unless you like defense, I, I for one, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of his defense. Um, yeah, and and I and by the way, I think that that's true of the Jazz players, which is why they kind of set out to make a point last spring. Um, so part of me wonders, you know, how it would even play in the locker room to be like, hey, remember how we said we're a team that's based on defense? Well, we just acquired this guy that, you know, we all collectively set out to make a fool of on the defensive end, but you know, whatever. I. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't be against a, a Miritich trade. Um, I just. I, I think that there might be other trades that use the, the assets better. Uh, we already talked a little bit about Tobias Harris, um, a player who, going into the season, one could have thought, "Oh, he's going to become available," you know, towards February when the Clippers aren't in the mix. But guess what? They're in the mix. So I just don't know that the Jazz are getting Tobias right now. Um, Unless, you know, unless something funky happens. I, I do think he's a good fit for Utah. Um, he can score the ball in a lot of different ways. He's a more dynamic scorer than Otto by far. Yeah. Um, not as good of a defender. The only question I have with, with Harris is, um, you know, guys that talented don't usually get traded by two different teams when they're that young. Um, and if he got traded this year, that would be three different teams, you know, like part of me just wonders if there's a little bit of a concern about how he is in the locker room, how he is as a teammate. And I don't say that cause I know anything, but you know, I think that that's one thing that gives you pause is a guy that talented hasn't been able to stick despite the fact that he was on a rookie deal and then on a pretty favorable contract. So, um, I don't know what that says about, about Harris, maybe nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anything either, but yeah, Milwaukee, Orlando, Detroit, Clippers, uh, it feels a little bit like a guy who's, I mean, you know, I own a business and we're always looking for people who are not job hopping. This isn't quite the same. He's under contract and being traded, but he's still moving around a bit and you you wonder a little bit the why. I had forgotten. I Like, that's crazy to me. He was in Milwaukee? Wow, I, I just... That's crazy that I completely blocked that out. I I think I started really paying attention to Tobias in Orlando because that's when he started getting really good. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, he's been great as a Clipper. He's been kind of like a Blake Light as a Clipper because he can he can play either role in the pick and roll. You know, he can be the 
He can be the screener, obviously, as a four, but he can also run the four or five pick and roll really well. He's good at that. Um, he can create his own shot. He can create for others. He can spot up. He can pull up. He just he does a lot of things as a scorer. Um, but I think this one is kind of moot because I, I don't know that they're I don't know that they're selling right now. Um, and speaking of the Clippers and whether or not they're selling, the other guy I get asked a lot about is Gallo. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gallo? Yeah, I think the ship has probably sailed on that one. I think the Jazz were very interested. I mean, it's less than two years ago uh, on the July 4th that will live in infamy. But I think uh, his game has changed enough. He's he's aged. He his defense was really never there. I think that, like I said, I think that ship has sailed and and that's just not going to happen. You know, I went and looked. um, He was he was like pop off the screen bad at defense when the jazz played the Clippers recently. And, um, and I have had some Twitter debates about, about Gallo. And so it caused me to like wonder, okay, wait, am I just being really hard on him because I've seen him in a couple bad moments. So I went just to randomly like pull up some games and look at some scoring possessions from Clipper opponents and see, you know, was Gallo the reason that they scored? Was Gallo good? Was Gallo bad? Did Gallo do his role on that play? Did he not do his role? Was he the reason for the breakdown? Whatever. Um, a couple things about that exercise. Number one is at the point I did it, it was hard to find games he had played in because he had missed like three straight games at that point. And that's the other thing about Gallo is he misses a lot of games perennially. And then, you know, when I did find games that he played in and I looked at these opponent scoring possessions, like Gallo is never good. Like there were like not every scoring possession of a Clipper opponent was on Gallo. Like they weren't all Gallo's fault, but they just he did not look engaged when he's off the ball. He's just, you know, he's not in a stance. He's he doesn't he just doesn't look at all interested in that end of of the court. Um, he just doesn't look to me like a jazz player in that regard. And I, and I hate the logic that, oh, you, well, you're putting him next to Gobert. He'll just magically be okay. Cause Gobert will cover him up. Cause that's just not how team defense works. Yeah. Well, and, and if you have to remember, like the jazz did to Meredith, like the jazz did to Hayward in the, in the first meeting, um, they looked, they looked for, uh, especially the playoffs, but even in other matchups, they're, they're looking for those weak points in the team defense and they're going to exploit them if they can. All right, so we're sitting at 45 minutes. Does it does it make sense to even talk about Chris Middleton or is it such a pipe dream at this point that we should just uh we should just save the time and move on? Um uh, I'll just do the my 15 second version I I mentioned earlier, which is I think that the Milwaukee has become a good enough team. I think there's a lower percentage that he moves. He still may move, but it's lower. And move as a free agent or move in a trade as, as a, no, I mean, as a free agent in okay. the summer, um, that, that I, I, no, I don't think they'll trade him as a trade deadline. No. And that, but he's one of those guys I was talking about where I think now there's less, a little bit less likelihood that he's going to move in the summer. And so that might be one of the reasons the jazz, if, if there are a couple guys who are on their radar, who were less likely to, to change teams as free agents in the summer, um, you know, it's going to change the market, and that's why they might be looking now. I guess I'm kind of mixing up two things here, but no, as a trade deadline, no. Milwaukee's not moving him next week. We can probably move on. Uh, while we've been talking, um, Malika Andrews of ESPN tweeted out a quote from Chris Middleton where he basically signals his commitment to Milwaukee. Um, you know, players say stuff like that all the time and then move. So I'm I'm not necessarily saying that that means he's a buck for life. But if he's saying stuff like that on January 31st, um, then then no, I, I don't think the Bucs are going to move him by February 7th, um, which is too bad. I, I love Chris. I've loved Chris for a long time. I think he might literally be the ideal player. Like if you could design a player to play next to Rudy and Donovan, you would design a guy yeah. who is good enough offensively and dynamic enough and could score in a bunch of ways that he could take pressure off of Donovan but who's also really good defensively can guard multiple positions like Chris is great but because Chris is great and he's a first time all-star now by the way too um, I don't think the Jazz are getting anywhere near that Um, and then the last name on the list is one that I get asked about three or four times a day minimum um, including today because he just got moved from New York to Dallas Um, he can still be traded his salary just can't be aggregated but um, 
but Tim Hardaway Jr. is in a salary range. I'll just tell you real quick. Uh, he makes seventeen point three million this year. So the um, the Mavs can't aggregate his salary in a trade, but they could trade him straight across for a player in that range, like Rubio or like Favors. And a lot of people ask me if if uh, if I think that that deal is realistic because they're impressed with what Hardaway has been able to do on a Knicks team that has been starved for scoring, and so they just throw the ball to him and he goes out and scores 20 a game or whatever he's scoring. I mean, he's scoring a lot of points for them. Um, he's been, he's been good offensively, at least in kind of that volume scoring role. Um, what do you think about Hardaway? Do you, do you think that there's a there there? I, I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not that big a fan and I just don't feel like the jazz DNA is necessarily there. Uh, so I, I, don't really think that's a that, that that that's someplace they're looking. Yeah, I don't I don't think when we started this conversation it was about how do the Jazz find a guy who is their new third, second yeah. or first best player. Um I'm not sure Tim Hardaway Jr. is better than Joe Ingles. I'm not even sure he's better than Favors or maybe even Rubio. Like he um he's not very committed defensively. He is scoring a lot of points, but his efficiency is below average. Like he's He's not an efficient scorer. He's just using a crap ton of possessions. Um, I, I think he's not a player that makes the Jazz measurably better. And because he's under contract for one more season plus a player option, he keeps them from going after a guy who does um, you know, take them up a level. So I, I wouldn't go after Tim Hardaway Jr., but let's do our due diligence here. What would the deal look like, do you think? Uh, yeah. Or, do, or are you just so disinterested that it's not even? I, no, I just hadn't. Even, I hadn't even thought about it. But I mean, it's in that same salary range where I mean, you almost. I mean, you could do a variety of things. I mean, you could do because you just have to be within five million because it's in that. It's under. It's under yeah. the nineteen million range. So I mean, it could be favors for Hardaway. It could be Rubio for Hardaway. It could be a collection of, of, uh, Cephalosha. Udo that gets you to nine million. You got to get a little higher, so you know maybe that doesn't get you there unless you want to send uh, an Axum or a Crowder, which I, I can't imagine they would want to do. You know, clear the bench for Hardaway. I just don't think so. So I, I just that's why I just don't see a deal there. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I guess unless, like I was saying about Miritich, um, unless you're going to get an asset back with Hardaway, you can send out an expiring like a Favors or a Rubio, and get. Hardaway Jr. and something, and you're really more in it for the something, but I can't imagine sending any of those guys uh, potentially disrupting chemistry for him. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, um, yeah, if you trade favors for Tim Hardaway Jr., you just made the Jazz worse. If you trade Rubio for Tim Hardaway Jr., you probably just made the Jazz worse. Yeah. Um, If the Mavs just took him back in that deal because it's what they had to do to get Chris Tapps Porzingis and they're not interested at all in him and they just want to flip him for expirings and all it took was, you know, Tabo and a bunch of other stuff. Then, I mean, that's the point where I guess you maybe just decide to kick the tires. But, but again, you know, you're talking about eating into at, at that point, if that was the best deal the jazz could come up with, I'd rather they just keep their powder dry and head into the summer and see what happens. Yeah. Well, those are eight guys. Um, there are more guys than that in the NBA. There are other players they could look into. Um, you know, I've thrown around Justice Winslow a little bit because he's starting to look good finally after, um, you know, several years in the NBA as kind of this promising dude. But, you know, he's a big three, now plays a bunch of stretch four, um, has been really good over the last month. I, I don't know if he's available, but he's kind of in that mold of like a Chris Middleton light at the moment. Um, David Locke has been mentioning Rodney Magruder a lot lately, which kind of scares me because it feels like he's maybe conditioning us to believe that that's going to be the big pickup. And I don't know that that's a big pickup or every, one that does much for my... Every time I hear see that name on on screen, I think of the Saturday Night Live MacGyver. Uh, yeah, planet. yeah. Magruder. Yeah, exactly. In fact, didn't they make a show? I think they made a spinoff about that with, uh, you know, with the guy with Will Arnett, not Will Arnett, Will Forte. Oh, maybe um, they did. I, don't know. I think it was a show for like twelve minutes, and then oh. you know they realized nobody was watching it. Um, 
Yeah. So I don't know. You know, there are some other guys. Um, I used to like Thad Young a little bit. I, I think that ship has kind of sailed because he's older now. And um, while he did have one year where he looked kind of promising as a stretch four, he he's back to not really shooting threes at a, at a high clip. So, you know, I'm not sure. Oh, that's the other thing I meant to say about Tim Hardaway Jr. He doesn't actually shoot, shoot threes well. And they account for like half of his field goal attempts. Yeah. And he's making like low 30s. So I, I just I don't get the fit there. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. But you think uh, you think a deal is coming in the next 160 uh, 160 hours. I think the level of activity we've seen from the jazz this early, and we're actually hearing about it, which is the strangest thing. Um, either, you know, either, either the jazz are loosening up or, or Tony and a few other people have some sources that nobody's ever had before, because we seem to be hearing a lot more activity. I, I think that's got to signal the jazz are at least looking at every opportunity. And, and I know they do every year. I never believe, you know, sometimes after the trade deadline, you get the, the fans who say the jazz did nothing they didn't call they didn't call a single team that's never the jazz could have beat that deal for um you know for anthony davis why didn't they just trade for anthony davis their stuff is better than that yeah i hear you yeah so just the level of activity tells me that the jazz seem to be um seem to have this as a point of emphasis for right now and I mean, it's, they're not going to make a bad deal, but I, I think there there's a higher likelihood than than I would have thought two weeks ago that something's going to happen by February seventh at three p.m. 3 yeah, PM. it does sound three. Is it three p.m.? I thought it was three p.m. Eastern. You said it was three p.m. Mountain at the start. Oh yeah, you're actually right. You're yeah. you're right. It is three p.m. Mountain. Yeah. Oh, sorry, three p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think. Um. Yeah, it sounds like they have a starting point on a couple of different players that they like. And that doesn't guarantee anything because again, like we talked about with Conley, like we talked about with Otto, you still have to negotiate. You still have to negotiate against other teams. But the fact that there's like a working framework in place for, um, you know, for a couple of guys that I know the jazz like uh, tells me that, you know, the next six and a half days are going to be about positioning and you know what are we including in this offer and oh what's this team countering with and all that and uh and i i think there's a really good chance that the the jazz's rotation and maybe even their starting lineup is going to look different after february 7th yeah so uh if that happens we'll have more to talk about here at salt city hoops and the saltcityhoops.com podcast uh for now we'll wrap this one it's been a long one but we know that people are interested in trade talk so indulge hope you've enjoyed it and we'll be back soon to talk more jazz and uh maybe even break down a trade or two